What you're about to listen to is a Pod Bros exclusive. Age of the Geek, baby. We run the world. I see you shiver with anticipation. Man, what's gotten into you? I'm doing great. How's everybody doing? It is another episode of Davis Nerd Compendium. And this week, um, we go back to our roots and having a longer episode. Uh, That is because I have a guest on and we go into depth about one of her favorite shows. I will wait to the release of the name of the show until she talks. I will also say that the explicit warnings has been turned on this episode because there is some explicit content for language. Um, that's just what happens when you get emotional people talking or emotionally invested people talking about an intellectual property that they like. I will say this is episode part one of a seven episode series. It's not going to be a concurrent episode series. But as she finishes a season of the show, we will talk about it. Uh, I will say this is a show that I spent about a month and a half watching. And I went through all seven seasons of it. So, there's that. Um, again, I'm not going to say the name. So let's just jump into the episode as is. Alright everybody, I am joined with... A good friend of mine. She's like my little sister. We've known each other for, God, 10, 12 years, something like that. Uh, what would have been my junior year of high school. So, like, a long time. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I think dinosaurs <laughs> might have run the earth. We've known, we've known each other since 03. That's 2003, not 1903. You Were you know. alive in 1903? I've been told I'm an old soul. Well, I mean, if we were in Storybrooke, it could be 1903. Good point. Look at that seg. Look at that seg. I'm so good. She kind of put the cart before the horse, but we all know (laughs) that I've been (laughs) binging a show for the past couple of weeks and actually finished a week and a half ago and was like, okay, I need somebody to discuss this with. So I had to reach out with the number one fan of my friends of this show, and that just so happens to be Kelly. And if you haven't, if you haven't figured it out by her mentioning Storybrooke, we're talking about Once Upon a Time. And you can blame for life. (laughs) You can blame Kelly because this will be spanning a seven-episode arc. Not all together. You're welcome. But tell us what, or give us a quick rundown of what Once Upon a Time is, since you're the mega fan. I I am quite the mega fan. Um, so first off, I started watching Once Upon a Time from the beginning, like when it first aired. 
um, I tuned in every week. And this was before like we were able to record episodes. So like I would actually take time out of my day to sit my ass down and watch this show. Like I've loved it since the beginning. Um, I'm just now sort of returning to it. So I have a lot of notes on it. Um, you know, what I, when I first watched the series, it was new. It was exciting. Uh, there were a lot of people who were trying to say that it was like a take on fables. Um, they were trying to say it was a ripoff of this, like, uh, it was a, I think it's That's called fables. Comic. Yeah. Yeah. The, like this comic. Right. Um, and then when you realize that Disney took it over, you're like, this is nothing like the comic. Because <laughs> uh, Fables so like, was mostly based off of the grim fairy tales and the Hans Christian Andersen fairy tales, where once right, it's actually anything more... that's Disney IP, it's used. Yeah, and it's like it's a lot more, uh, a lot more violent in the original tales you know, so much more violent. Um, but so when I started watching uh, Once Upon a Time the first time, um, you know, years ago when it first actually premiered, uh, it was new. It was exciting. Uh, it was a new take on fairy tales. And um, the thing that I like most about it is that you're solving the mystery with the characters. You're not, um, you don't have a whole lot more insight than the characters already have. Um, so that was kind of cool. And uh, coming back to it now uh, with a more extensive education on, uh, on media studies and things like that, it's really interesting to look at it from the perspective of a uh, essentially, um, what is it called in theater where it's a group production, there's no one star? An ensemble. Yes, it's an ensemble piece. Um, so, and I really love ensemble pieces. There is no direct star, right? So like it starts off with, uh, what's happening in the fairy tale land. And then suddenly we come to this horrible, awful place. And that's the thing that, um, what makes it scary on a psychological level is this terrible, awful place where nobody gets a happy ending just so happens to be capitalist America. You know, so that's really it's really interesting to me that like this place where nobody can be happy happens to be in the heart of small town America. Yeah. Where time has stopped, which if you visit small towns in America, a lot of the times it seems like time has stopped. Yeah. 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 So it was a cool take on it. Um, But yeah, so that's just sort of like an introduction into how I, how I approach it now versus how I approached it in the beginning when it was just new and exciting. And now I'm like, oh, I can actually pick this shit apart. This is great. See, I did not watch it right from the rip. Um, okay. One, one of my friends uh, had the first season or maybe even the second season. They were just going into the third on air when she's like, oh, you should watch this. And mm-hmm. I'm very picky about what I watch. if. I I give it three episodes, just like comic books or books in a series. I'll give it right, three. right, right, right. Like I'll and give it a I, fair shot. Yeah, if I don't like it, sucks to be them. If I do yeah. like it, I'll continue. Well, she showed me the first three episodes, and I was like, okay. 
went home and I binged the first two seasons and uh, had to procure the third in other ways so I could get caught up. <laughs> Torrent. <coughs> no, this was before Torrents. This was um, hacking into my friend's DVR. <laughs> oh, I, I was going to say, this is like straight up hacking shit. That's what the time was. Yeah. Um, so I got caught all the way up and then started watching it. And then Walking Dead came on and brutalized uh, death versus fairy tale. Brutalized death wins. I mean. Yeah. And it was probably about a month, month and a half ago. I was like talking with somebody and. They're like, yeah, I'm just starting to watch Once Upon a Time. It's like, I never did finish that. I think I went, like, through the third season and at the beginning of the fourth, and I just lost interest. And we'll get to what part of it made me lose interest, but... I'm going to be completely brutally honest. The minute they brought in Frozen, I was like, I'm fucking done. Thank you. That's exactly... That was it. I was like, no... (laughs) But Mm -hmm. I was like, okay. So I was like, fine. I got Saturday mornings after I do homework. I got Sunday mornings. Um, Then the whole quarantine happened. So it's like, Mm -hmm. now I have lots of time. (laughs) It's like in my room where I do my work, it's like I'll have my laptop set up. I have my iPad set up here. And it's like, okay, play. And I'll be doing working. Yep. <laughs> yep. I uh, originally, so our plan for this, just to lay it out for listeners, uh, the original plan was just to kind of chat about once upon a time. And then I got super involved because that's what I do because I am such a huge fan of the series. Hermione and I was Granger. Like, <laughs> and I was like, no, we should do an episode for every single season so that way we can really break it down and like really get into it. And I think. Uh, I think from all the way over here, even though we weren't actually physically talking, I heard you go. <sighs> <laughs> no, it wasn't really that. It was the face palm. Oh, motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> what have I gotten myself into? The Captain Picard. <sighs> um, so with that being said, do you want to start on season one? Sure. Um, so, originally, I was trying to take notes for each episode, <laughs> and then, like, I admittedly got a little too high to do that, and then I was just hyper-focusing on the series. So, the plus side is, I remember quite a bit of what I wanted to say. <laughs> All right. I first want to start off, you mentioned it's an ensemble piece, and yes. I do have to say, it is a very good ensemble cast. Yes. My first couple of notes are not into the show, but about the show in general. Yeah, the cast is phenomenal. They all have great chemistry, every single one of them. Yeah. Um, And that's really what I think holds the show together. Um, I will say it was funny seeing, I guess you could say, one of the main principles of the show. Mm -hmm. uh, Jennifer Morrison in a role that was so totally opposite her on House. Yeah, like, it, opposite of almost everything she's done, like, like you said, on House, when she was in Star Trek. 
Um, she wasn't. Yeah. She's Kirk's mom. (laughs) And even then it's like, it's that sacrificial thing. Um, Whereas now she sort of got to explore a whole new set of skills. And I think she did it phenomenally throughout the whole series. And I will say it was very well written, except for a couple sections of the entire show. Yeah, I would agree. The writers, very good team. Um, The writers knew how to write an ensemble piece, which is difficult, to say the least. Um, You know, without focusing in on one person. uh, It honestly, it reminded me a lot, um, just looking at the parallels, it reminds me a lot of Deep Space Nine as far as an ensemble cast goes with good writing. Yeah. Um, You know, you have your, like, not necessarily a villain of the week, um, but you have a person of focus for the week and you can figure out who that person of focus is going to be early in the episode. So just like with, uh, with deep space nine, if the episode starts out with a meeting between Garrick and Bashir, then you know it's going to be like the bromance episode. It's something is going to be about both of them, right? If it starts off in Quark's bar, something's going to be happening with Quark. So uh, same thing happens with this in particular. Very first episode from the get-go, outside of the fairy tale world, you see Emma um, and you see her date and she's this badass. Um, She is... uh, her apartment says a lot about her personality uh going into it you get to see that she's very sparse she has there's no personality to her apartment except for the writing on the door which i think is probably the biggest setup the writers could have ever possibly thought to do see i didn't even focus on the door that much so i don't even know what was written on the door i don't know what was written on the door but if you look at the background in her apartment building her door is the only one with writing on it. All right. So you're like, obviously she's part of a story. Where does she fit in with this fairy tale world we just learned about? Yeah. And I will say, um, it was a very interesting aspect of their interpretation of the fairy tales. Yeah. That um, was what was so exciting the first time around is like Snow White is not just this princess who ran away and lived with dwarves. Little she's pure a little fucking thing. badass. She like she's, she's a bandit from the queen. She's a bandit. Like she goes stealing shit like to survive. She's she's kind of like the uh, ultimate ar- anarchist. Yes. And one thing I will say is, um, you actually get to see the humanization and dehumanization, mm-hmm. the entire scale of it with the evil queen or Regina, if you will. You get to see her go from semi-pure of heart, uh, Danzel, Mm -hmm. to outright psycho. But what I love about it is that you don't see that pure of heart Regina until like the second or third like uh, season. They keep it completely out. Like you have this idea because of what the letter that Snow writes is about. So you get this idea of what's going on. Um, but you don't get to see Regina as a good guy or as anything redeemable until the second or third season. Um, which makes for great storytelling because you have all of these other characters who are growing. You've got Archie who grows throughout the series, Henry, Emma, um, 
you know, Snow and even Prince Charming, uh, or David and Mary Margaret, whatever, um, you see them grow and you see them become new people. Whereas with Regina, she's very static um, from the end of the fairy tale world all the way up until where we are in quote unquote reality. Um, she's just a total bitch. There's no redeeming quality to her whatsoever. And um, a really particular instance where that's obvious is where uh, Emma asks her to her face um, before she goes back into the mayor's mansion. Uh, there's this scene where Emma, Emma asks her, do you love him? Talking about Henry. Um, and Regina stares at her and says, of course I love him. And then she goes back in the house. And that's the minute that Emma decides to stay. Because you have to remember that Emma's got her superpower. She can always tell when someone's lying. Yes. So why does she stay? She stays for the kid. Yeah. And it is something that you see. You mentioned uh, David, Mary Margaret, or Prince Charming and Snow White. Mm -hmm. You have Archie, who's actually, you find out, Jiminy Cricket. Jiminy Cricket, Cricket. yep. You have... uh, Which I love the fact that Jiminy Cricket is a psychologist. Not going to lie. Good choice. (laughs) Uh. Well, he is everybody's conscience. Yep. Uh, you have Marco, who you find out is Geppetto. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ruby, who is uh, Little Red Riding Hood, who mm-hmm. that was an interesting twist. Yes. I will say. The yes. lycanthrope uh, aspect of it. She is Little Red Riding Hood and also the wolf. <laughs> um, and you could tell they used the Disney version of the seven dwarfs because they actually have names yep they're actually sneezy sleepy dopey bashful although they had dreamy there and stealthy there for a while but stealthy got yes. killed and stealthy dreamy got killed turned him. into grumpy right which that when they explore that later i'm excited for i can't remember which season they do that is it second season um but yeah, I love when they show that he was like originally all dreamy and happy and excited for things. And then... I want to say that was the first season. Is that, that first was, season? Yeah, that was when uh, Grumpy and Mary Margaret are doing the candle cells for the... Okay, uh, wait. Sis- wait, wait, wait. Maybe I didn't watch all of the first season. No, no. Yes, I did. Because the first season ends when Pinocchio shows up. Yeah, and this happened prior to Pinocchio. I want to say it was episode 20 either 18 or something like that i don't that. think so i don't think so because when pinocchio showed up that hadn't been explored yet uh imdb is my friend <laughs> imdb it look it up are you looking it up is that yep. what you're doing <laughs> As I said, IMDb is my friend. Um, yeah, because before we even sat down, after I got out of my meeting, I watched a 20-minute video of a recap of everything that happened in season one. Because <laughs> it's been... Um, it's been a while. It's been a while. Been well, and because, I, because I binged the season all at once, I'm like, fuck, I don't know the difference between the episodes anymore. Uh, let's see. We see Hansel and Gretel. We see yep. uh, Genie, which ends up being the magic mirror. Dreamy. Yep. Episode uh, 
What is it? 14. Oh. I must not have watched all the way through then. I must have watched the season break. And I thought it was the end of the season. Yeah, because 14 is Emma investigates Catherine's sudden disappearance and Mary Margaret and Leroy, a.k.a. Grumpy, right. helps the nun sell the candles at the Minor Stay Festival as flashbacks uh, or show when Grumpy falls in love with the fairy. You know what's funny is, like, I remember this vividly. <laughs> I didn't even watch the episode, and I remember it vividly. Well, this is one of those shows where you could just get the most minuscule factoid and it will it, or for me it instantly plays back in my head it's yeah like, exactly i remember that i don't remember yeah, which exactly. episode but i know exactly. i saw it yeah and uh another thing coming back to like the real world versus um the fairy tale land is like the thing that sucks about the real world is that the real world sucks but the thing that's great about it is that uh regina has to operate within a certain set of rules that she never had to operate within before, but not until Emma comes back and starts using the law to her advantage and starts questioning things. Yeah, because uh, Regina thought she was the law and everything revolved around her. And exactly. So somebody who actually knew what the hell was legal, what wasn't legal. Yeah. Well, and, you know, Rumpel, the episode where Rumpel pulls out the, tar- the town charter when Mr. Gold pulls out the town charter and he like slips it across the table to Emma. And he's like, did you know we have a town charter? And Emma's like, I did not let me read it. Yeah, Um, you did uh, give away my next uh, little note here is I love the concept of gold mm -hmm. and uh, Rumpelstiltskin, how they are one of the same. And I love that throughout the series, you see Rumple spinning straw into gold. Yeah. So and it's like, of course you're Mr. Gold. Yeah. And I will say, uh, Bobby Carlisle, who played Rumpelstiltskin, if you ever hear him talk at like a Comic-Con panel or any interview... You can hardly understand a word he says. He has the most thickest Scottish accent ever. So thick. And uh, like I hear him speak, and I'm like, "You're literally Scottish Twitter." Yeah, and I want to say it was at the San Diego Comic Con before season two, or maybe before season three. Uh, they were all on a panel, and uh, Bobby Carlisle was talking about how he developed his voice for um, Rumpelstiltskin. He's like, "Well, you know, you can hardly understand me as it is. Uh, I took." The pitch that my son talks in, which is always like, da, 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 yep. yep. And he's like, I just had to slow down and try to um, Americanize my accent as much as I can. While and still- you hear him, you hear him slip it so many times, and you're like, I know you're trying. I know you're trying. Especially when he says, dearie. Dearie. Because he always has that flick of the tongue that most. Americans never have. Well, most British don't even have it. It's like a particularly Scottish thing. It's so weird. But um, another note with Rumpel that I have here is something that I vividly 
remember you posting about every Sunday about nine to ten o'clock, somewhere in that hour gap because once upon a time was on and it was like you were live tweeting the entire show. Yep. Um, yep. The dynamics between Rumple and Bell. Oh my God. They're so good. And during the first season, you don't really see it. It's more no. the second season. The well, and one of the, season. one of the notes I have, I'm actually going to show you because I think you'll find it funny. Let's see if I can get it right here. Oh yeah. Rumpel, Rumpel for life. For life. <laughs> um, my only complaint about first season Rumpel is that uh, we could really use a lot more backstory before we see everybody shitting on him. Yes. Everybody being like, this is the most dangerous creature and he's awful and he's evil and he'll take things from you and you can't give him any names. And it's like, you're sort of creating this big bad baddie that's behind bars while the evil queen's still doing her shit. Yeah. It's like, if he's such a big bad baddie, how do you get behind Mars? And then throughout the first season, it, it explores that and how he willingly went there because he knew that's where he needed to be. Yeah. And also you, I'm not sure if it's a first season. It might be the beginning of the second season. You find out that reaching it became who she is because she was under the tutelage of of the dark Rumble one, yeah, or the dark one, right? Um, and then, spoiler, moving ahead several seasons, I loved Emma as the dark one. Yes, uh, I season loved it. Six. I absolutely adored it. Um, there are many, many things I would have done to that woman willingly, and not willingly. And now, I mean, that's fine. <laughs> but then again, I like, uh, I think, I think probably the thing is, I just really like the dark one. Yeah. Right? Whether it's in Rumple or whether it's in uh, Emma, just the idea that there's so much darkness in the world that you could potentially make it completely evil. Um, and then, you know, Emma becomes this vessel for good, blah, 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 season six, whatever. Yeah. Um, to go along with my note about Rumple and Bell, mm-hmm. I never would have expected or thought, and again, this is, you really find out in second and third season, I think, mm-hmm. uh, typically it's Beauty and the Beast. Right. But the Beast is actually the Dark One. The Dark Rumpel One. Adult skin, and it really builds upon his character and gives him just that next layer of character that makes the character of Rumpelstiltskin gold and I want to say during the uh, seventh season it was Wigner or something like that some weird name okay because they're in Seattle and whatnot oh yeah 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 yeah. okay it just adds so much depth to that character to where um, him and Regina's character are actually the two main staples that are in every single episode. Every episode. And what I love going back to first season um, is you get peaks that Mr. Gold knows what's going on, that Mr. Gold remembers. 
um, the fairy tale land. You get peaks here and there. And if you're not um, a particularly well-tuned in watcher, you're not going to catch them. If you're the least bit distracted, you're not going to catch the point where, um, you know, you, you're going to remember Regina's promise to Rumple that he'll be, he'll be content. He'll be well off. He'll have everything he's ever wanted. He'll be, he'll live in comfort for the rest of his days. But if he ever asks her a favor and he says, please, she is not allowed to refuse it under yeah. any circumstance, right? So there's this scene where after Emma has chopped off a huge arm of Regina's apple tree um, and Regina's trying to clean it up, that, you know, Rumple comes in and it's evening and Regina looks and she's like, what are you doing here? And he's like, oh, I was out for an evening stroll, you know, as he does. And, um, and he's like, I thought I'd stop by and see how things were going. And they have their little titter back and forth as they do. And at the, toward the end of the scene, um, Regina will not let him leave. She keeps getting in his way. She won't move. And he's like, I'd like to, you know, go home. I, I'm going to need you to stop and move out of my way. And Regina keeps going. And he like leans in. And he goes, please. And she freezes. She can't do anything. And Gold just walks off the property and she watches him go. So I think, and and then there's like this, Again, this goes back to how great the actors are. There's this moment of recognition in Regina's eyes where she's like, oh, fuck. Yeah. He knows. Well, you would, you really find out that the curse that Regina uses to send them to Storybrooke was actually a curse from the Dark One himself. The Dark One, yep. So designed Rumpel, by him. Yeah, it wasn't designed by Rumpelstiltskin himself because you find out that the Dark One is an entity right. in and of itself. It just has a vessel that it uses. And yep. its current vessel is Rumpelstiltskin. In... I.e. Rumpelstiltskin will remember everything because Rumpelstiltskin is the Dark One. Yeah. So, I mean, it's interesting to take that aspect of it into effect and when uh henry finally convinces um emma that this is happening that everything is true it was after the point that he himself bites the bullet for emma uh mm-hmm. regina makes a apple turnover and if you know anything about any uh, evil Any queen evil queen in Disney. <laughs> Don't eat. They the have an infatuation apple. with apples. There's a really cute scene um, where Regina is walking Henry to the bus stop, and she's got an apple that she's about to eat. And Henry sees it, and he's like, "Where'd you get that apple?" And she was like, "Oh, from your mom's tree." And he like takes it and he just throws it down the street. <laughs> and Emma's like, "What the?" F-? It's like, "What the hell?" That was my, my breakfast. breakfast. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, he takes. He bites the bullet, he uh, eats the turnover, and it knocks him out. The yep. sleeping curse happens. Yep. And they rush him into uh, the hospital where he's being attended by Dr. Whale, who we don't find out who Dr. Whale is until the second season. Right. But all we know about Dr. Whale in the first season is that he's a terrible doctor. Yeah. And, and person. And through the entire first season of me watching it, I'm like, okay, who is Whale? Who is Whale? He has to be somebody. Who is Whale? Yep. And I'm trying to go through, like, all the Disney films I remember watching and 
there wasn't any doctor character other than Doc the Dwarf right. that would come to mind. I was like, well, maybe maybe it's transgender and it's actually uh, the uh, witch from Sword in a Stone or something like that. So you like you went out there with it. You went like all the way back to Silver Age. Yeah. So I'm literally like going back to my childhood. I'm nearly forty years old, so I haven't yeah. <laughs> I haven't watched a Disney film since high school. But it's like I watch. I can honestly say I've probably watched every single one from 1999 earlier. Or, yeah. So I'm like trying to go through every single Disney film in my head and no, no, maybe, maybe. No, so, you know, my mind no. with Dr. Whale, my mind had automatically gone to like Pinocchio. That the whale became amp- uh, amp- anthropomorphic. Yeah, that that's the word I'm looking for. Well, no, I was thinking like maybe he's the bad guy that runs the, the, uh, the island of whatever. Misfit boys, <laughs> Misfit as I call boys. it. Yeah. Um, so that's I. I just kind of assumed that's where they were going with it, and I let it be. And then you find out who Doctor Whale actually is, and you're like, "Wait, is that Disney?" Then you think Young Frankenstein is partially owned by Disney. Yep. So they went for it. <laughs> well, I mean, if you can stretch to get there. If you can stretch it, I guess. <laughs> and can we just say that the Frozen episodes were a lot of a stretch? Yeah. Big well, stretching. Anything with the Oz uh, creatures were, or characters were a stretch, too. Mm-hmm. But <laughs> leaving that aside for a different day. Um, yeah, I just... I. I love too that true love is not heterosexual love. It's not any sort of sexual love. Um, You know, true love isn't just between two people who are in love. You see actual true love from a mother um, crying over her son and just like hoping for the best. Like that's true love. And that was one of the moments I felt wasn't very preachy. It was exciting at the time. Um, to see them go through with that. And then, of course, you know, years later, Disney releases Frozen, and then it's the sisters that are true love. And for some reason, everybody's shocked by this. And I'm like, none of you motherfuckers watched Once Upon a Time, did you? Well, then you got uh, season seven, where it's uh, Robin and Alice. Yeah. Yeah. Is true love. Mm-hmm. But I will say, Working my way through this show, it goes back to the game I was seeing when I was watching Game of Thrones and watching Doctor Who. It's like, it's the show of, I know that person. I know that person. Where do I know them from? I know that person. Where do I know them from? Like Wales. He will always be Julian Sark for me. Yeah. He was Julian Sark in Alias. He was also um, in Heroes. Mm-hmm. He played the samurai in Heroes. He played uh, the first zombie in the iZombie 
speaking speaking of uh heroes and other like um and lost heroes and lost in particular do you see the candy bars that hansel and gretel steal no they're the exact same candy bars from lost the apollo bars yep because the apollo bar was like seen in almost every single episode when Mm -hmm. emma's dumping out henry's bag when he's uh under the curse you see the apollo bar and once upon a time and that's when it clicked in her head that maybe if i kiss him he'll wake up he'll wake up um but yeah the uh the apollo bars are not um i can't remember if it's from the producers or the top writers um because they were also working on lost Honestly, it also I've, worked on Lost. So I never saw Lost. It's a really cute, like, it's just a really cute tribute. And seeing it, if you're, if you were a fan of the series or if you saw the other series, you're like, oh, I see what you did there. <laughs> yeah, that's that's the I know that guy game. Yep, exactly. <laughs> I uh, when I was watching Once Upon a Time with my ex, who was super into Lost. Uh, he noticed the Apollo bars and just started geeking out. He was like, oh my god! And I'm like, you need to calm down. (laughs) But I will say that, although you'll outright disagree with me, this is a bingeable show if you're not overanalyzing everything. (sighs) I would disagree. (laughs) Because me... I can watch a show, and I have a very analytical mind, but mm-hmm. I know it's it's not textual, it's not um, factual, it's entertainment. So for me, right. it's bingeable. But also, if you so if you uh, if you're in media studies at all, every piece of media is important. Um, it tells something about the time that it was released. It tells a lot about, um, you know, political and emotional uh, turmoil that was happening during the time. Um, and Once Upon a Time shows a lot of anxiety between the fairy tale and the real world. Like lots of anxiety between the two worlds. Um, you know, the known versus the unknown. The, uh, you know, all of these different things. And uh, what year did OUAT premiere? Um, well, thank you, IMDb. Uh, 2011. 2011. So what was going on in 2011? I was at a dead-end job. I... No, 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 not for you personally. Oh, yeah. I was going to say dead-end job, just starting college. What was everybody afraid of in 2011? Was it that the Mayans apocalypse or something yes. like that? Yes. Yes, it was the apocalypse. So I want you to think about that when you're going back through Once Upon a Time, the known and the unknown reality and fairy reality and unreality. Um, these things do reflect a lot of anxieties of the time. It's just that you have to be really, really tuned into it. And I think probably because I'm so tuned into it, I can't separate the two. Um, but I would say this would be a very bingeable series if it wasn't for the preachiness, which I know that we had texted about. <laughs> yeah. And with me, I, I can understand and respect your point 
about it being preachy, mm-hmm. but I didn't really pick up it as preachy. Mm-hmm. I just picked up for it as, okay, this is one of the main linchpins of these two's interconnected story. Right. Well, and the preachy parts more are the, uh, the side stories. So like the end of the Hansel and Gretel episode, I literally, like, I went and I got, I'm not supposed to drink a lot because I'm on a lot of medications. Uh, For listeners, I am disabled. I have a very rare autoimmune disease and I'm on about 25 different medications. So I can drink like hard cider, but I really should not be drinking alcohol, like uh, taking vodka shots and anything like that. And so I actually paused it after the Hansel and Gretel episode. I went into the kitchen and I was like, I'm taking a hard cider. And I'm taking this back in the living with me because I need to drink. Like, I cannot stand this anymore. I need something. Um, (laughs) But yeah, so at the end of the Hansel and Gretel episode, Emma has this huge monologue about the importance of taking responsibility for things that you didn't realize were happening. Uh, It's very, um, I think, the thing that it, I was reminded of it watching um, The Witcher. And understanding the law of surprise. Um, That's like kind of where my mind went with it. But but she's got this huge monologue about the importance of family and staying together. And you have to keep your kids because they're your kids. And even if you think you're not ready, maybe you need to do that. Um, They'll come back into your life when you're not ready. That's how life is. And you have a responsibility now. Um, And it's like, Emma... You need to slow down because what was your plan after you dropped Henry off to go straight on back to Boston? Like you had no intention of taking over anything. The only thing that changed it was seeing the dynamic between Henry and Regina and like what goes on there. Yeah. Um, so like to get so preachy with a tow truck driver about how he needs to accept that these twins are his was kind of like, I need you to not. And the tow truck driver, that's another one of those characters. I know him. Yeah, yeah. Because he was a crycheck in X-Files. Yes! And he was also, um, I'm forgetting his character's name, but he was in Kyle XY. Oh, really? He played, um, Kyle was being chased down by um, the Zizix Corporation and that Krychek's character uh, played. I like that he's just Krychek. Yeah, I always refer to him as Krychek, <laughs> just like Whale is Julian Sark. Right. Um, he played the um, Adam, who was like one of the heads of Zizix before it turned into Zizix, who was actually the biological father of Kyle. He was like Adam's bodyguard, mm-hmm. and he was. By defect, the protector and bodyguard and guardian angel esque of Kyle when he was growing up. Mm-hmm. Um, the character or the actor's name is Nicholas Lee, and he's a character actor. Yes, he is. Like he's a hardcore character actor, and I have so much respect for character actors. It's the same thing with uh, Bobby. Tom Foss, that's his character's name in Kyle XY. 
IMDb to the rescue. Yay. But um, it's the same thing with, uh, with Rumpel's actor is he's a character yes. actor. And that's one of the reasons why he's so damn good at what he does. It's because that's all he does. Well, when my friend showed me the first couple of episodes, first time I saw him, I was like, that's, there's a, a shade from the Aragon movie. <laughs> and my friend's like, guy. wait. You actually watched the Aragon movie? I was like, I was a fan of the books. Yeah, the first time they introduced Emma, I was like, oh, hey, it's Cameron. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, you just get those, like, hints of different shows. And it's like, you really get to see the dynamics that these characters can play. Well, and more than that, too, you can see that the casting directors knew what they were doing. Yeah. They were like, we need actors who know how to work together. And the fact that the actor who plays Henry is able to fit in with them is just phenomenal. Like, that kid's going places. I will say it was strange to see. Now, granted, I watched seven years of this show in the span of, like, a month, maybe a month and a half. Right. And you see this kid go from, like, a... I'd so say little. probably maybe seven to ten year old kid. Yeah, well, he's supposedly ten in the show. I would assume that they cast him at around eight because of how long filming takes. Yeah, and for him to play the same role for, granted, he was in all seven seasons, but he wasn't really dominant or right. prominent, I should say, in the last. So in six years you see him go from like a 10 year old kid to be 18 yeah and and you see him growing as an actor that entire time so not only do you see his physical being grow you see him emotionally grow maturely grow and his uh taking the trade of acting itself and developing his character and you really don't know what which part of the character he's playing is he playing the innocent child is he playing the kid being tortured by pan in season three is he right he's very wire-esque in camelot he's he has proven from like day one that he's uh, he's a chameleon sort of actor. Like, if you put it on him, he will put it on himself. He'll do it. Like, he'll make it work. Um, and I just think that that's so phenomenal um, for a kid to go from, look, your job is to play an innocent kid, which is what you are, um, and then to pull that through for so long. Um, and yes, Henry grows out of that innocence, but he doesn't do it in a traumatic way. Um, and the times where it is traumatic, he's always got Emma to fall back on. When he's still um, an adolescent. Yes. In pre-adolescence, yes. Yeah, when he's still a little kid. Like, during those formative years of uh, emotional safety and things like that. Yeah. And I will say, because I was... After I got done watching the entire series, I started looking up uh, fan theories and everything about the show. Of course. Because you have to, I mean. You have to. 
Uh, there's a YouTube channel called The Theorist or Theorizer or something like that. And one, he has the breakdown of the entire Once Upon Time family tree. Like, wait, wait, wait. Who... Is this the guy who tried to argue that Ed, the whole uh, series takes place in Henry's head? Um, no. Oh, okay. Because there was one who argued that, and I was like, I can debunk you in two <laughs> seconds. No, but uh, <laughs> he goes in, he thinks, and it'll be a point I'll bring up in, when we get to season seven, that the last two episodes of the entire series were not needed. They were a moot point. I would agree with that. That uh, I want to say at it least... was episode 20 or 21. It was one of the two, because I think it was a 23-episode season. Uh gave the perfect closure for the Mm -hmm. entire run of the show that they didn't need the last two episodes. Now, here is what I will say. They didn't need those last two episodes, 100% agree. At least they didn't keep it going. True. They ended it. They were like, no, the story's done. It is over. Like, this is it. Well, they ended their story. Right. They left it open enough to where, granted, uh, Once Upon a Time in Wonderland... Uh, came out and it was horrendous. Uh, yeah, I, well, I and didn't they do like that too? So did they do. Wait, did they include Aladdin in Alice in Wonderland? Uh, or was that a completely different spinoff? They it didn't do. Neither of the spinoffs did well. I only know of the one spinoff. Um, but they did have Aladdin in. I want to say that was season. That might have been season five or six uh, of Once Upon a Time. But I'm looking it up too. <laughs> I'm like going back to where I just searched Once Upon a Time. Uh, Once Upon a Time. Yeah, oh. so there was an episode called Street Rats yeah, in that, 2016. And 2013 was the Wonderland, so that would be uh, concurrent with season three. Of Once Upon a Time. Let's see. Uh, yep, so it did show up and they were primarily seen in um, Once Upon a Time in Wonderland. Yeah, because... So they uh, were in uh, the original OUAT and then they were in the spinoff. Uh, Taji Rafi. I see Young Jafar. Mm-hmm. Uh, yep. There's Jafar. I'm not seeing um, Aladdin's name, although I'm not that far down in the list. I'm seeing Jafar's guard. But yeah, there's crossover between both of them, and I think they left it open enough to where you could see another branch of it Mm -hmm. have it be someone else's story Mm -hmm. and that's something I do like about shows like this where they give you that option that hey this could happen well and it also makes for good um, fanfic to increase the longevity of the show Um, a lot of people I think tend to dismiss fanfic because they think it's bullshit yeah. which m- 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 a lot of it is 
Um, but you have to imagine too that a lot of it is written by people who are like 13 to 17. Um, you know, adults aren't as prolific in fanfic. Unless um, you're... Uh, unless you're... Who, Stephanie Meyer. Her the, at... Who, who was it that wrote the fucking awful Fifty Shades of Grey? Oh, oh, um... Because that was, that was a fanfic. Yeah, uh, E.L. E. James? I don't know. I think it's E.L. James. Because I, that was a Twilight fanfic. Is it's written by a woman who has no idea what BDSM actually entails. Um, and Gray is an absolute psychotic jerk. He is not a dominant. Yeah. Um, I just need to get that out there. I'm very upset about it. <laughs> I will die on this hill. <laughs> I, I will say that the one thing that threw me off on Once Bought Time it was in season three, and I'll touch on this when we talk about season three again, is I did not like them having to recast the role of uh, Robin Hood. Although Sean McGuire, who ended up playing it for the rest of the season or the rest of the series, did a great job. They did recast him, didn't because they? Because Tom Ellis, who goes on to play Lucifer, Lucifer. in 2015, uh, Tom was Ellis. the original Robin Hood. Mm. So, Sorry, I'm having a moment. <laughs> trust me, I'm having a moment. I right. love Lucifer. <laughs> it's funny because I'm uh, binge-watching Lucifer with my mom, and um, I was one of those stupid Facebook quizzes. It's like, which uh, Netflix character are you? Sure, whatever. You are Lucifer Morningstar. Yep, sounds about right. Um, except you're also a Jew. So, like, the whole Lucifer thing just doesn't fit. <laughs> Mentality-wise, yeah, uh, well, yes, sometimes, not. yeah, that's fair. <laughs> um, getting back to Once Upon a Time, I was flipping through my notes here, and specifically first season, but this continues through the entire series. What in the hell were the costumers going for with the dark magic outfits? Uh, like those Sith the Jedi robes? Yeah, well, not just that, but the helmets with like the oh little tentacles and shit oh you mean the dark knights yeah the dark knights that and like um i think they're regina's trying to go hair just like being I think they're trying to go taller for, than her face um if you remember monty python the holy grail the they were not knight. no they <laughs> were not the that's what it right looked there. like but that can't possibly what they were going for it's just the spaghetti that gets me <laughs> Either there, they're playing on Cthulhu, like popping out of the top, like "Hello there!" Like this is some evil ass shit. Uh, yeah, that was one of my what, probably my only costuming complaint is what are they doing with the Dark Knights and with Regina's some of her costumes? Fantastic, but like the hairstyles, the the weird ass like Star Trek like veil that goes down to the top of her nose and um makes her look or i'm gonna have bangs but i'm going to have it put up in a beehive almost yeah i'm like i don't know what y'all were thinking with that but you needed to like not you needed to think differently 
is called puff puff pass. Puff puff pass. You don't do all three puffs at once. <laughs> you let it sit in. Um, but you know, and I I looked for commentary from the costumers and I couldn't find anything. Um, and the reason I looked for commentary is again going back to The Witcher. Um, I guess a lot of Witcher fans were really pissed off about the Nilf, uh, the Nilfgaard um, armor, the Nilfgaardian armor, because it's got like all of these like uh, snake type things on it. And the costumers specifically commented that they wanted it that way, and they explained the reasoning for it. So I'm like, oh, there's got to be something like this with the OUAT cost costumers, like. They had huge jobs. They did a great job for the most part. There's got to be some commentary. And I found nothing. And I'm like, I need you to step forward and explain yourself. Oh, uh, they paid me to do it. <laughs> I need explanations for this horrible design. I will say that when I, again, this was my second time going through the first, just say, three seasons. And you really pick up the detail in the costumes, but they, uh, I'm trying to figure out how I want to word this to where I don't sound like a douche. Being Just the, go for it. Being the fantasy fan that I am, they needed more continuity in their time period. Agreed. Because you could really see the like Baroque period at the mm -hmm. very beginning. Then they transitioned to the next uh, leap back into fairy tale lane, which was probably like five to ten years prior to the well, last I mean, one. And it you, goes from Baroque to the Renaissance era. Then yeah, well, and I was, was going to say, even within like one episode, like you see the different kingdoms, right? Like Midas' kingdom, super Renaissance y. Yeah. Like, not even Renaissance, it's medieval. Yeah. Um, despite the fact that they've obviously got a shit ton of money. Yeah. It's just super medieval. And then you go back to the other kingdom, and you're like, this is Renaissance. And then you go to another kingdom, and you're like, this is, like you said, this is Baroque. We need to agree on something here, because this is all taking place in the same time. Yeah. I do think an argument could be made that because it's a fairy tale world, it's possible for all of those to happen at the same time. Um, I don't know how good of an argument you can make with that, but I, I do think that argument could probably be made. Yeah, but still a little bit of consistency, especially if you're having your, what I call the cross-contamination of characters. Yeah. Um, you have uh, Lancelot being met up by... Um, Snow White. You have Mulan being met up with um, Fiona and not Shrek Fiona, but a different Fiona. It's different actually Fiona. Uh, Sleeping Beauty Fiona. Right. Um, then you have her meeting up with David and you're who like, was James at the time. Part of it, part of it too is this is obviously a very big world very big world and you expect me to believe that all of these characters came into contact with each other how how they're traveling by horse and buggy how yeah 
then I want to say it had to be third season. You have Jack the Beanstalk as Jack Glenn. Is uh-huh. That? Jack. <laughs> um, I did like some of the gender bending that they did. I did yeah. appreciate it. It, it. It was a welcome reprieve, but again, it was social commentary at the time. Exactly. See, you're getting it. You're getting it. <laughs> Oh, I knew about it. It's just like, <laughs> I don't really comment about it because I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> Meanwhile, I'm like sitting down to watch um, uh, another thing that I'm a huge nerd of is Star Trek Deep Space Nine. So I'm sitting down to watch Deep Space Nine and I'm like, this is the Cold War and Bajorans are space Jews and <laughs> they are and you know it. And like... <laughs> There's exploration of genocide and all of these other things. Um, okay, I'm going to have to clip that audio. The Bajorans are space Jews. The Bajorans are space Jews. <laughs> but, I mean, look at it. They are. <laughs> she broke the host, ladies and gentlemen. She broke the host. She broke the host. You're welcome. Oh, God. Argue with me that they aren't, Dave. <laughs> Tell me they aren't. Well, that's like uh, you've got you've got eight million people of the same religion, just like fighting a bunch of infighting about what the prophets actually want. Fucking tell me they're not space Jews. More like uh, space Nazis, because one wants to be the superior race. Not within the Bajorans. No, sorry, I'm thinking Kardashian. Yeah, you're thinking about or- Cardis. <laughs> sorry. Cardassians, not Kardashians. Not Kardashians. Keeping up with the Kardashians. I don't want to. Same race. <laughs> I mean, sometimes it seems that way. Uh, I'm looking through more of my. Yeah, because we've already exhausted notes. all my notes. Yeah. Uh, so the last couple notes that I have. Um, The uh, two, three things that I thought were very, very cute is that um, the mirror writes for the Daily Mirror. Yeah. Um, There's a garden gnome in Regina's garden, and that's the gnome that she had transformed during the original dark ceremony that she thought was going to get the curse going. I don't know if you remember this, but so during the first ceremony where she thinks the dark curse is going to work when she throws in her horse's heart. There's this gnome that's like dancing around on the rocks, and he's like, "Ah, it didn't work. It didn't work. I knew it wouldn't work." And she turns him to stone. Yeah, that's right. That gnome is her garden gnome. <laughs> so I thought that was really cute. And then the last thing, of course, is that she grows apple trees that she yeah. claims she's tended since she was a girl. Whereas um, uh, Mary Margaret is like, "Oh well, she's been mayor since I can remember." And that's just sort of like a whole thing in the first season is ever since I can remember. Um, and once uh, once the sheriff gets into it oh. and realizes that like, oh my God, th- there is another world. Like this is true. Like I'm having, these are memories. Um, and of course he fucking dies. I will say. Um, and I thought the, he did an amazing job. The creators of this show, I kind of put, almost on par with uh, Kurt Sutter or Jar Jar R. Martin. And please bear with me while I go through this. I'm barren. It, 
every <laughs> time you try to attach yourself to a character, they dead. die. It's dead. Now, granted, George R. R. Martin never really killed a principal character. Somebody that was... He killed Ned Stark! But it could be uh, argued that Ned Stark was not partial to the overall principal story. He was a part of an anticular story that was attached to the primary story. Okay. All right, fine. Kurt Sutter, on the other hand, you like a character, they're dead. Shot in the head, bashed in the head. Stabbed. If you like if you like a character, it's a red shirt. Exactly. That old mentality. Yep. So I will say I start to really like Graham. Then mm-hmm. he died. Yep. I will say the second character that I really, really liked actually made it to the final <laughs> season. Yeah. Or at least one version of him did. <laughs> and that's Hook. <laughs> See, I I did like Hook when they brought Hook in. Um, I will not lie, uh, as a younger person, I absolutely shipped before Belle came into the picture, I totally shipped Emma and Rumple. Ooh. I know. It's very weird. But I was like there's just something about the chemistry between the two actors. Yeah. Um, but besides that, um, I just, I just, I, I saw something there that it's like Rumple would absolutely, if Emma were that useful to him, Rumple would absolutely manipulate the situation to make that happen. Oh, oh yeah. So I guess it's not really a ship so much as it is. I could, I could watch that and get into that. It's funny that you mention uh, the magic mirror writing for the mirror. His character's name being Sidney Glass. Right. And like, they just, there were some things that I'm like, you're fucking punny. We get it. But (laughs) what really got me is if you don't know who the gentleman who plays it is, it's Giancarlo uh, Esposito, who played Gus Fringe from Breaking Bad. So, the silent guy that took Walter White, had him start making the crystal meth for him, ran the uh, chicken restaurant. Right, is also the Queen's evil spy. Yeah. And, And like, he is evil, and that's the thing. Um, Well, he was the original genie of the land. Yeah, yep. And, And, And then he gets caught in that mirror, and like... And you'll see in the fairy tale land, he does try to advise Regina against doing things. He's like, ah, this won't look good for you. Mm, you're the queen. You might not want to do that. Um, but once you come into the real world, he's nothing but a pawn to her. Like, exactly. he's just a footman. He's just a foot. He's another rank and file foot, foot soldier. He's the one that Orcus, or you find out, I want to say it's in season five or six. He's the one that orchestrated the adoption of Henry. I thought that was gold. No. um, Or does that... Oh, that's right. That's never confirmed. And then in in that season, you find out that it was Sidney. It was Sidney Glass because he used his contacts uh, with the... As a journalist. ...to go elsewhere. Um, You find out that he's he's trying to play both sides against himself. Mm Mm-hmm. While still favoring so he's Regina. Like, 
he is kind of the definition of chaotic evil. Uh, chaotic neutral that's tending I was towards say, evil? Chaotic evil is more like Rumpel. Yeah, Rumpel is chaotic. No, no, no. Chaotic uh, evil would be Regina. Oh, Rumpel, Rumpel would, would be, be lawful evil. Either lawful or neutral evil. Because he does have rules that he has to follow. Yeah. Um, Emma would be your true neutral character. Yes. Antithesis of true neutral. Um, Mary Margaret would be your um, chaotic good. The bandit side of That's her. That's fair. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, Charming would be your neutral good. Mm-hmm. Um, Belle would be your lawful good. I would argue that Belle is chaotic good. Because Belle will absolutely create chaos if it's for a good cause. That's the antithesis of uh, most lawful characters. <laughs> they have their own set of rules that they follow. Yeah. Um, lawful neutral would be Henry, of course. Right. And uh, chaotic neutral would probably be Hook. Fair. Because he was evil, then he's trying to be good, and he gets and like caught the right in that part. in between. Yeah. Now, the thing that I liked about Hook's storyline is um, it's the storyline of an addict. Um, someone who is so deeply entrenched with a substance, um, whether that substance is evil or alcohol or heroin, like whatever you want that substance to be. Right? Yeah. He is a addicted to it he needs to have it um and then he goes through recovery and his recovery is not linear just like any other addict recovery is not linear he has his pitfalls he has parts where he screws up he has parts where he screws up majorly but you see the other characters come around to support him which is what an addict needs yes so i really see in hooks in hook storyline later on i really see the story of an addict yeah so for the gamer people, you actually can take aspects from this show and put it in to gaming mentality. Mm-hmm. And I will say, while I was watching the first season, um, I was taking notes, but not for this per se, mm-hmm. for a game that I'm developing for D&D. Oh, yeah. OUAT would make uh, a great D&D campaign. Like, there's so much you can pull from it. Yeah, and especially Sebastian Stan's character of Jefferson, who ends up, you find out, is the Mad Hatter. Right. His hat would be an iconic. Loved, <laughs> I loved that storyline. I loved the Hatter story. Yes. And um, that is one thing I will say about um, Once is each episode... Like you said, you don't have a main antagonist, but you do have a primary protagonist that the story is centered around. You get the backstory of it. And they kind of, very loosely, kind of hint to it in the names of the episodes as you're, if you are like, you're actually looking at the names of the episodes. Right. Um, I'll just pull out a couple from season one. Um, Oh the yeah, read me read me the name of that of a couple episodes. I'll see if I can guess what happens. Um, the thing you love most. 
Oh shit! Who would have been the main one in that one? I imagine the main one is that is Regina. Is that the one where she has to cut out her dad's heart? That this is actually the second episode, and but oh, you shit. are right. The synopsis is Regina tries to push Emma out of Storybrooke and Henry's life as flashbacks details information about the evil queen's curse. Yeah. Um, that still small voice. Uh, is that about Jiminy? Um, it does show or have Jiminy in it. The synopsis is, as Graham makes Emma a deputy, a mysterious sinkhole appears at the edge of the town and Henry's life is placed in danger while flashbacks shows Jiminy Cricket yearning to leave the family business. Yes. Um... The episode that that's broke the one my... where he tries to have his parents turn into. Uh, well, he doesn't try to. Rumple gives him a uh, a potion and tells him this is going to take care of your problem. Just one drip over their food, or one drip here. Um, and Jiminy asks, "Well, what's going to happen to them?" And Rumple says, "Oh, don't you worry about that, dearie. I'll get it all taken care of. I'll be there to collect them." Yeah. Um, and so he does it, and it ends up that the parents conned him into putting them into these two kind strangers' drinks. And so this, the kind strangers turn into the puppets instead of his parents. Yeah, marionettes. Yep. Um, the episode that broke my heart, the heart is a lonely hunter. Graham. Yep. Where you also get the hint of um, the big bad wolf if you will yep um skin deep Mm. skin deep uh is it about pinocchio uh emma suspects gold is planning vigilante justice when his house is robbed as flashbacks show when bell made a deal with rumpelstiltskin then this one was a dead giveaway red-handed right come on <laughs> hi ruby uh hat trick is the mad hatter mad episode. Hatter. um then the return Ooh, i don't know that could be a lot is that uh either one where pinocchio shows up or uh one where, like, the last of the, the one where uh, Emma kisses Henry's head? Uh, that one is actually uh, an apple red as, or no, a land without magic is the one where... Uh, where she does head. the forehead kiss. Okay. Um, train. Uh, what one was it again? <laughs> um, skimming through trying to... Skin deep. Oh, uh, Emma's just, no, that's the one with Belle and them. Oh. Red-handed. Uh, The Return, that's it. Oh, right, right, right. Regina Plains for Mary Margaret is thwarted following Catherine's sudden reappearance, and Gold becomes aware of August Pinocchio. Ah, Pinocchio. As 
flashbacks show what happened to Bellfire after Rumpelstiltskin becomes the Dark One. And I will say, um, the adult Balefire, Uh I won't release his name because it's actually second season when you see him, that character, or the actor, I should say, was in True Blood. And when I saw it, I was like, hey, Hey, it's that guy. I know him. (laughs) Again, hey, it's that guy. Okay, so you know what's really funny? Um, and this is like completely non sequitur, but uh, I started listening to this podcast a couple years ago called The Last Podcast on the Left, and um, it's really good. It's a true crime comedy podcast, which you don't think is possible, but it is. I highly recommend it. Um, but anyway, one of the guys in um, in the that runs the podcast, um. I saw him originally in Your Pretty Face is Going to Hell. And uh, I knew him tangentially through two friends. Um, so it was weird because, like, I had seen him act before. And, like, I watched Your Pretty Face is Going to Hell, which is on Adult Swim. And I'm like, hey, that's Henry. And, uh, and then I was listening to the last podcast on the left. And I'm like, motherfucker, it's Henry. <laughs> so that was one of those, hey, it's that guy. Um, things except like on a personal level. It was just really kind of cool. And I was like, motherfucker, I know him. Yeah, so I will say that is it for season one of Once yes. Upon a Time. Yes. Um, this is a very developed, very deep show. It, I can watch it and binge it and not think two things of it other than entertainment. Whereas I enjoy watching it I do not enjoy binging it, but that is what I am doing. Um, and I can't help but analyze it. So I think you're going to get a whole lot of analysis on my end going forward. And mine will just be like, hey, here's like six to ten quick notes that I picked up. And yeah. That, and I'll just it. ramble for an hour. It's fine. <laughs> so Kelly, I want to thank you for being on. Uh, part one of the Once Upon a Time conversation. Thanks for Again, having me. Blame her for it being seven parts. It me, is entirely it my fault. One and done. Zero percent sorry. <laughs> sorry, not sorry. Sorry, not sorry. So tell people where they can find you if they want to debate the um, authenticity of the Dark Knight's little spaghetti hat. Yes, uh, they can feel free to email me. My Facebook is very private, so they can't find me there. Um, But they can email me at jackson.kelly.a at gmail.com. Yeah, like, fight me. I'm cool with it. All right. Thank you, (laughs) Kelly. Thank you ever so kindly, and I can't wait to have you on for the next uh, episode of Once Upon a Time Season 2 whenever you get around to binging that. You got it. And I will drop the hint here. Um, after we're done with the Once Upon a Times, um, Kelly and I will have to get back <laughs> into uh, reading a book series that she hooked me into reading back uh, years ago. Uh, 2000 
my, about 2005, I want to say, I got into reading and watching the corresponding movies. We will be going book by book by book through the Harry <laughs> Pothead, I mean Harry Potter <laughs> series. Uh, coming at you live from Hermione Granger herself. <laughs> yes. There's a reason why I called her Hermione Granger. And once we get to You'll find books, out. In the next understand. three episodes, you'll understand. And then you'll be like, I can't stand her. God. But thank you ever so kindly. And um, can't wait to have you back on. Sounds great. It's been a good time. We'll see you next time. All right. Time for some housekeeping. As always, you can find me on Podbros Network iTunes, Stitcher, and TuneIn. But you can also find me on Twitter at DaveTheNerd underscore TNC. On Facebook, facebook.com slash Dave's Nerd Compendium. All one word, no apostrophes. You can also go to DaveNC.com and find everything there. Find everything on podbros.com in the Dave the Nerd section. I have a YouTube channel. Just search Dave the Nerd. And I'll do like unboxings and I might do like a movie review or something on there just to give a little bit of content. And don't forget while you're on iTunes at Stitcher to rate the show five stars thumbs up whatever they take. And if you write a review I can Read it, and then focus the show to be more about what you want to hear. So, with all that being said, thank you ever so kindly. And, as always, and if you need a man, find a nerd. (gasps) Overload. Pleasure overload. What do you want to do tonight? Same thing we do every night, Pinky. Try to take over the world.